This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With a losing record, the Eagles surprisingly find themselves at the top of the NFC East. Injuries plague this team, but the hope to win the division is very much alive. This week, I sit down with Eagles legendary quarterback and NFL analyst Ron Jaworski to unpack the team's current state and hope for the future. Get ready to hear Jaws tell it like it is on Gun on One. Everybody, uh, once again, we welcome you to Gun of One, the podcast. I'm Derek Gunn. And, of course, uh, what a crazy season it has been, not just in the NFL, but especially in the NFC East. Uh, the good news is the Philadelphia Eagles, with a losing record, uh, sits at the top of the division. So to kind of help us make sense of what the Eagles have gone through and in what we've seen in the division, I brought in someone who's not just an expert, but an authority on the National Football League. He is a 17-year NFL quarterback, broadcaster, author, CEO of the Ron Jaworski Golf Management Incorporation. I don't know if the man ever sleeps, but he is a good friend of mine, and I thank him for taking the time to talk to me for a few minutes. Joss, how you doing today, man? Derek, absolutely fantastic. Good to be with you once again. Um, I do sleep sometimes. I get some sleep. <laughs> I, I, I don't want any grass growing under my feet. Got to keep moving. <laughs> You're still a young man at what, 68, 69? I lost track at 39, Derek. I'm there like, you go. Yeah, I'll call the name Jack Benny. Most people don't know that he stopped counting at 39 as an actor. So that's where I am right now. Once the hair started turning gray, I stopped counting. <laughs> well, Josh, as you heard me say off at the top of this podcast, what a crazy year it's been in the NFC East, and especially for the Eagles at 2-4-1. and one. First of all, give me your general observation of what you've seen so far from these Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I mean, not really what I expected, not only from the Eagles, but from uh, the NFC East uh, as a whole. Um, it's a mess, I guess would be a, a one word uh, answer, just a mess. And and when you look at these teams, I'm particularly Dallas coming in with uh, Mike McCarthy. I thought, uh, you know, we, with the addition of CeeDee Lamb and the plethora of offensive weapons they had, I thought they would be a team that would contend with the Eagles for the title uh, in the NFC East. That certainly hasn't happened. Neither team has played up their ability. Um, the Giants also, you know, I mean, they're they're in a rebuilding state with Joe Judd, so who knows where they're going to be. Um, Washington with Ron Rivera, another, you know, new head coach, new coaching staff. 
but watching their game yesterday, they, they look like they're building a very solid foundation on the defensive side of the football. So that brings me to the Eagles. And clearly, uh, it, it's been a season that no one no one expected. Uh, not only two, four, and one. Yeah, we, you know, we, we could sugarcoat it and find positive and say leading division and all that. You know what that could mean uh, at, at the end of the season. But this team, if they get healthy, and that's a big if right now, as you look around not only the Eagles roster, but National Football League, you know, with COVID and players being, you know, benched and, you know, not not active. And, you know, my friend John Gruden was absolutely livid all week long. I mean, what they did to him, I think, was a, a, abysmal on behalf of the league. Um, they couldn't practice all week, five offensive linemen out and say, okay, play Sunday without practicing. I mean, that's, that's the state of the NFL right now. And it's, you know, we can easily say it's unfair, but these are unprecedented times. And you got to deal with it. And I, and, I, and I think Doug and the coaching staff, the Eagles, have dealt with a lot of adversity, a lot of injuries, and they've been able to hang in there. So I, I do see some light at the end of the tunnel, but a lot of it's going to depend on the health. How surprised are you that they've been able to play football weekly, consistently up to this point? They've had to cancel some games, shift games around, so on and so forth. And when you have that large of a volume of people in a small quarantine space seven days a week. Are you extremely shocked that the league is not shut down at some point? Uh, I'm not shocked. You know, Roger Goodell and the National Football League historically have done a very good job, uh, not only from the rules of player safety, but protecting the players, the coaches, and everyone, every one individual person in the organization, as well as the fans. I think uh, in these crazy, unprecedented times, no one knows what's coming tomorrow. And, and I think for the most part, the NFL has done a really good job. It's not, it, it's, it's not the same. We all get it. We all understand it. It is a new normal. Um, you know, players want to get paid, so they want to play. It's a business, so we got to look at the business side of, it, side of this. Let's not kid ourselves. Um, pro football, football, big business. And the Eagles, the Eagles and 31 other teams want to get those games in. So uh, no one really knows what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone today. So, I, I, you know, I get up and say, okay, do we have to pivot today? What are we going to do? Are we traveling? Can we not travel? Who's active? Who's not active? I mean, there's just a lot going on right now. And it's, uh, uh, but overall, I would say the league has done a very good job of containment. In your lifetime, can you remember the NFC East uh, being this bad, this mediocre? Derek, absolutely not. It's, it, it, I, you know, it, it, was, it was interesting the, when the Eagles played – the 49ers a few weeks ago and got they got that win out there in San Francisco. It was obviously the 820 game that night. So I had a chance to watch Washington, Dallas, and New York. And I went, Oh my God, the Eagles can still win this division. I mean, it was it was it was terrible football. And, and you know, uh, the, the NFC East, I mean, you know, when I came into the league in 1973, it was, you know, Washington, Philly, Dallas, New York, rivalry, East Coast, bitter games every every week. And now um, it, 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 it's, it's just a bad division right now. Now, again, we'll see how it all plays out. But right now, it, you know, inconsistent quarterback play, injuries, all, all those things have come into play. Again, in, in these unprecedented times, it just, uh, it, it's not good for the NFC East. All right, I want to hone in on your keen eye of expertise, which is the quarterback position. You look at a guy like Carson Wentz, has all the athleticism in the world. Shocking that he has as many interceptions as he does touchdown passes. Obviously, some of those interceptions, uh, not his fault. Uh, 
the one thing that he's done consistently bad, he's missed throws, uh, overthrows, holds the ball a little bit too long, takes unnecessary shots. The one thing that we've seen him do consistently good the past several weeks is he's made the big throws, made the big run for a first down when he's had to. How do you iron those things out to where you have more of the good instead of more of the, the bad? Yeah, when, when, when I watch Carson, and, and you know, I, I watch the game first as a fan, and then you know, a few yep. hours later when I get the tape downloaded, the coaching tape uh, into my computer system, I look at it as an analyst. So I, I look at it two ways. And, and there is no question Carson has incredible talent, incredible talent. He's a fierce competitor, and that's what I love about the kid, man. I mean, he will battle you till the very end, and I think he battles you too much and puts himself and his mm-hmm. body in harm's way. So I think he's got to be more judicious when he decides to take off. And I used to say this about, you know, um, my dear friend Randall Cunningham when he was my backup yep. quarterback, and Randall would be put in games, and people say, why does Randall keep running? I said, because he can't. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty simple. And that's what quarterbacks do when they have the God-given, you know, uh, Kyler Murray talent and guys like that, they can make plays outside of structure. They do that. Um, And and that's what Carson is doing right now. You know, he's not playing his best at at the quarterback position as far as pinpoint repetitive accuracy. Um, I think he's playing a little fast. I think he's leaving some plays on the field by not going through his progression the proper way. And I think, uh, you know, because he's getting hit a lot more, it's human nature. I'm getting out of here. I'm not going to take these hits, no matter how tough you are. And he is tough, and he'll look down the gun barrel. But there's something innately in a quarterback when you feel that pressure, especially up the middle, you have a tendency to bolt either left or right. So I think he's manufacturing some plays with his legs. That kind of gets him going. He's one of those guys I think that likes to get hit early in the game kind of gets mm-hmm. you know, the cobwebs going and gets your adrenaline flowing and things like that. So, uh, but when I, when I look at the tape, what I would say is he leaves some plays on the field. The yep. repetitive accuracy has not been there. Uh, it started out very poor, some inaccurate throws that turned into interceptions, um, but he's gotten better as the season has worn on. He's gotten better. Now the other side of that coin is, you know, the offensive line has been, you know, interchangeable every single week. You don't know who's going to line up at right tackle, you know, right guard, uh, left tackle, left guard. The only stable player has been Jason Kelsey. So that has something to do with it, that communication, and also the play calling from Doug Peterson of what he wants to do with uh, a piecemeal offensive line. And then mm-hmm. you go to the receiving core. And I, and, and this, this goes back to me, Derek, to this crazy 2020 year, the pandemic and the coronavirus and all these things. You think of the offseason. You know, there was no offseason. Right. Players weren't working out as a unit. They go to training camp. You know, there's no preseason games. Uh, training camp was, you know, at, at by and large, not very good for every, not as a league in general from the repetition and getting the work. So you go through the whole offseason. You're not getting the reps you need. You're not with your starting wide receivers. You're not working with draft choices. And all of a sudden, it's the opener. You know, and 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 the continuity isn't there. And I and I think when I did your show maybe a couple months ago, I said. In the off-seasons when I got better, when Mike mm-hmm. Quick got better, when Harold Carmichael got better, congratulations to our Hall of Famer Harold Carmichael. You know, we got better because we were throwing 36,000 balls in the off-season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, getting, yeah. you know, because every, every guy runs his route differently. You can call an old cut at 10 yards, and everybody runs it differently. And, you know, I, I've, mm-hmm. I've been in this league a long time as a player. I analyze it as an analyst. 
and everyone is different in route running. Some guys give their hint different, their indicator, how they run their steps. So it's a little bit different. So if you lose that entire offseason, it breaks down the consistency you have between quarterback, wide receiver, tight end, and back. So there's a lot of things that contribute to it. And I'm not making any excuses for Carson. I won't do that. Right, right. You know, and he won't either. Uh, but, you know, I still think the Eagles with Carson are in a good position right now to get this thing going in the right track. As you know, a lot of times a quarterback will take on – a team will take on the personality of its quarterback. And you look at how Carson has willed this team back to respectability in games like against Baltimore and against Pittsburgh and how he rallied this team uh, to a win against the Giants when everybody thought they were dead to rights. Um, what does that say about the character of that individual, especially when he can get a bunch of young guys, backups, uh, guys walking in off the street to form a cohesive unit – and be as competitive as they have been over the past several weeks. Yeah, Derek, we probably, you probably, I wouldn't even be any Evan Ingram would have caught the pass that, uh, that exactly got back on the field. So we we, <laughs> we were a little bit fortunate right there when they dropped balls. <laughs> you know, sometimes things go your way, and that was one of those plays. I mean, this is pro football. The guy drops a layup. Yep. You know, I mean, it's just uh, or game's over. And we're talking about you know a, a, a one five and one team here rather than two four yep. and one. So it'd be a lot different. But Carson got that opportunity, and here's what I like about him. The fierce competitor that he is, mm -hmm. he wants to go out there and make plays. And, you know, he brought the team back, uh, again, as you said, against Pittsburgh and against Baltimore. But, again, you know, you've got to play four quarters of football. And that, that's kind of the – if you look at this Eagle team right now, they haven't put four quarters together yet. And they started out playing lousy against Pittsburgh and Baltimore in the first half down, you know, three scores in each of those games. Rally come back to be respectable. Played a, had a good drive against the Giants, then took two quarters off and yeah. rallied in the fourth quarter. So, you know, it, Doug's got, got to find a way to get this team playing consistent football. Just, you know, every single play, not these ebb and flows of a game where they really look good and they really look bad and do things well, then they do things horrible. So, um, again, maybe it's just crazy 2020 year. <laughs> but uh, I'm not making excuses for him, but, you know, the, the consistency just hasn't been there on the offensive side of football. And you can probably say the same about the defense. Um, are we on the outside looking in at times maybe too critical of Carson? Would, would you agree or disagree with that? Derek, it's Philadelphia. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that's what I thought you would say. We, it goes from play to play. I, you know, I lived it for 10 years as the Eagles quarterback, you know, yep. and I, I always tell this story, you know, that we were playing then the, 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 the Colts, and I hit my first nine passes at Veterans Stadium. The tenth was incomplete. They started yeah. booing. <laughs> I'm like, man, what do you got to do to keep these people happy? What What have you done lately? Just it's just the nature of it. And you know, you learn to live with it. It's a we'd all like to be cheered. We all like sure. to be liked. But the NFL is fiercely competitive, and everyone's going to be embarrassed, humbled, and humiliated somewhere along the way. And ultimately, how you deal with that 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 failure or lack of consistent play will determine you know your future as an NFL quarterback. So you got to be tough skin, you got to be tough willed, and you got to be a strong leader. And I think Carson is all those. A quarterback's psyche can be so fragile at times. And you look at a young man like Carson, he was a god basically in college. He was the savior when he got drafted here by the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was seemed to be going on an upward trend and 
everything you hear now is that we haven't seen that Carson of 2017. There's been a lot of negative criticism. I'm shocked people even are out there talking about trade Carson, get some value for him while you can now. You know, quarterbacks will tell you, I, I don't listen to the outside noise, but you know they hear it, whether a friend or a relative is telling them what's going on. You've had a chance to not just meet Carson, but get to know him. Does he have Does he have that inner strength, that mental toughness to weather this storm consistently in a very tough market? Absolutely, Derek. You know, I don't yeah. think there's any doubt that he is tough-willed, strong-minded. We know he's tough as a player. He'll battle you right to the area. But I think he does have that mental toughness. And, you know, in this league, you have to have it. And, you know, you have to really be able to cut off all those extraneous comments that are out there and comments yeah. by other people because they have nothing to do with how you're going to perform. Now, what you have to do is make sure in that locker room the guys understand you. You know, that, that doesn't bother you. Like, you know, a lot of guys say it doesn't bother you, but they hear it and it affects them. I don't think Karst is one of those guys. I, he seems to have, you know, have, have that tunnel vision where I'm not worried about anything on the outside. I'm taking care of my guys in this locker room. And that's the quarterback's role as well as to keep his arms around mm -hmm. everybody. So, you know, you have a down day, those guys still rally around you. If a, if a running back has, has a, day, a bad day, they rally around him. If, uh, uh, an offensive lineman, Jason Kelly, is a bad day. Hey, they rally around him. So there is that, mm -hmm. that community feeling amongst team. And, and I think Carson does have that great leadership. And and and, and that goes to Doug, too, as well. Because I think, you know, the, the, the head coach is the one that really sends the message out. And 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 Doug has done a really good job. I might just go back to last year, how that, you know, yep. the Eagles had to run the table to get in the playoffs with a, with a bunch of guys that were signing off the street at wide receiver. And, and, and what was consistent was Carson down the stretch, you know, with the Greg Wards of the world, whoever they were running out there from the practice squad every single week. And he showed up and put the team on his back and carried the Eagles to the playoffs. And he's probably going to have to do that again this year because, mm -hmm. you know, it, 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 you see the same thing with wide receivers, offensive linemen, running backs, a lot of guys hurt. Inconsistency at, at all those positions right now. So who's the guy you're going to count on? Carson Wentz. Mm. You mentioned head coach Doug Peterson, and of course, uh, several times this season, we have questioned some of his play calling and decision making. He has come out openly on several occasions and basically said, you know, after I've looked at the film, maybe I should have done this a little bit differently. <laughs> is that is that wise in a market like Philadelphia to be that honest and upfront with the general media? Isn't that stuff you should just keep in house? Yes. <laughs> I, 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 Derek, I, I appreciate and, and respect his honesty, but if you start second-guessing yourself, people are going to read something yeah. into that. And, and yeah. hey, let, let's be realistic about this. You know, we won a Super Bowl with, you know, one of the greatest calls of all time in Philly Special. You know, not your basic play call, your call down there to go line and fourth down. Just not and, – and they won. But even before that, you go back a year before the Eagles win the Super Bowl, Doug came in with a mentality. And remember, I was on the committee – that hired yep. Doug Peterson and interviewed right. all these other coaches with Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman and Don Solinsky and, uh, and Tom Donahoe and, and, and a bunch of other people and went through this in, in process. And we all knew from that, those interviews, how Doug was going to be. He was an analytical guy. He believed in analytics and he was going to be very aggressive. If it meant one percentage point in his favor, he was going to go for it on fourth and five from the 45 yard line. Yeah. So we saw all that he was going to go for two points. And you know what? Those are gambles. And most coaches in this league, I still go, I'll go back, Derek, another story. I love telling stories. When the okay. league went from kicking an extra point to a two point conversion, coaches hated it. They hated it. You know why? They had to make more decisions. 
I'm just making a general statement. There are probably yeah. some guys that like it. Most coaches, hey, we go out and kick it because we don't have to worry about going for two. You know, everyone's got the name. Uh-huh. When to go for two, when not to go for two, time <laughs> of the game. All, all, it's crazy. It's crazy. Analytics are crazy right now. I, I got I got I, I got a simple I a simple approach to it. I played for Dick Vermeil, Chuck yep. Knox, Don Shula, Buddy Ryan, Marty Schottenhammer. Guys that won close to a thousand games in the NFL. Won mm-hmm. a thousand games. That's fiercely competitive in the NFL. They won close to a thousand games. So my foundation is what I learned from my coaches. And the general feeling amongst all those coaches was only go for two when you have to. And, you know, th- that, that was that was that was kind of the, the way it was not going for it the first time you score. And I know Doug likes to send a message to his team. I don't necessarily agree with that. I, mm-hmm. I, I subscribe to the theory. Go for two when you have to go for two. So mm-hmm. we may disagree. The analytics, I get it. You know, I, there's there's substance to that. All these smart guys in their computers, they, you know, they, they two guys up in a press box or wherever they're sitting right now, telling them when to go for it, <laughs> when to not go for it. But I think in general, Doug is just a very aggressive play caller because he has confidence in his team, and particularly the quarterback, Carson Wentz. Does Doug Peterson need another Frank Reich, another voice of reason in his ear to get him through these critical situations? Well, you know, I mean, you look at the staff, there's a, there's a lot of, you know, Marty Morningwig's on this staff. Uh, Scanjanello's on this staff. Press Taylor's on this staff. You got the, you got some guys that are, are experienced. You know, Jim Schwartz has been a head coach. So, you, you know, when these coaches have their meetings, he's got, he's got great input from a lot of coaches. But I really think at, at, at the end of the day, Doug is his own person. He's his own man. Uh, he's going to sink or swim by his own decisions. He will have he will let those guys give their opinions. But I think at the end of the day, he's going to go with his gut. We keep saying, you know, if the Eagles can hold on, uh, help is on the way. They're going to get some bodies back. The Jalen Ragers, the Alshon Jeffrey, so on and so forth, the Avante Maddoxes. When you look at an Alshon Jeffrey situation, are you even surprised that we're sitting here talking about a guy coming back from that Liz Frank injury in less than a year's time when you consider most guys take a year, a year plus just to come back from an injury like that? Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, Alshon is is a tough customer. You know, I mean, he's a big bodied, strong guy, and, you know, he, he wants to play. Now, that being said, you know, we, we face the same challenge with Sean Jackson. Yep. You know, when he's healthy, the, he's a burner. The speed is there. Yep. But, yep. you know, the, you start getting in your early 30s, 31, yep. 32, 33, the, you know, that's, that's old in, in football age. The average career in this league is 3.1 years. People are shocked yep. when I tell them that. What? By the time these guys are 25, get out of here. You're discarded. We've got these young young guys coming in. Unless you're a superstar, you normally don't get to see your second contract. Now mm-hmm. you get in your 30s, the body wears down a little bit. You know, I and you know, we've been talking about Zach Ertz a lot this year. You know, Zach Ertz. Mm-hmm. I'm just not seeing the separation that I saw in the past. I love yep. Zach Ertz. I think he's a great football player. But the eye in the sky doesn't lie. You don't see you don't see him getting open like he did in a linebacker on a safety. And that's what happens with the Alshon Jeffries and Deshaun Jackson. Not only do you lose a little bit of, of, of an advantage with the speed, but also yep. father time catches up to you. When you look at a Zach Ertz situation, uh, he's getting up there in age. But when you analyze him, do you think it's because of age or is the money matter also affecting him coupled in with the age factor? I, I think that the money factor has zero to do with his performance. Zero. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think players, and I've been around this league since 1973, you know, I, I think players have the incredible ability to turn it off. 
You know, on Sunday, who cares about how much money you're making? You're playing for your brothers, you know, and that that's kind yeah. of always been the mentality. And every, and by the way, everyone's all for the guys making all the money they can, you know. As that's, I that's just right. said, it's a short career, so you'll support your teammate in making as much money as he can. But in the same in same regard, on Sunday afternoon or Monday night or you know whatever the day may be, the game, you better be laying it on the line for your teammates. And 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 I I don't see any any idea that Zach Ertz mm-hmm. is not giving a hundred percent every single play. Like I said, that eye in the sky doesn't lie. He's hustling. He's blocking. Hey, he's not the greatest blocker in the world. He's he's a right. he's a, he's, a, he's a hybrid tight end. You know, he's a receiving tight end, and that's what he does. But and there's no loafing. There's no like, oh, I'm not running this play hard. I'm not being paid enough. He's making a lot of money as it is. I don't ever blame a guy for wanting to pay more. <laughs> By the way, what are you paying me for this interview, Derek? <laughs> uh, uh, I'll have my people call your in, uh, your people in about oh a month from now when I can afford to pay you. <laughs> you, know, you, you. You you know you miss you mentioned Deshaun Jackson. Okay, he's thirty three, about to be thirty four in December. He's missed significant time with the hamstring injury. Now he's out possible six to eight weeks with a fracture in the ankle. Father time is undefeated. It is a time yep. I understand if when he can play. The Eagles have to play him because of the dynamic player he's capable of being. But is it time to move on from a Deshaun Jackson? Because we keep seeing the emergence of these young kids we'd never heard of before. Yeah, I, I think eventually, eventually you got to say, hey, you know, thanks for your commitment, but uh, we got younger guys, draft choices, high draft choices, second round picks, uh, first round picks, and we got to get these guys in the field because they ultimately will be the future with Carson Wentz. Yeah. It'd be nice to have a quarterback in his fifth year with a couple of young wide receivers that they're going to play together like, you know, for the next uh, seven or eight years, like Peyton Manning had with Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. They all yeah. came up together, and they're Dallas throw Dallas Clark to tight end there. They were all there together. So, you know, you throw Dallas Goddard with the Jalen Rager, you know, and you, you've got guys that, 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 that are the future for five mm-hmm. or six years. So uh, I'm sure how we sit in his office thinking this, how do I get all these guys in the field at the same time so they all grow together? Mm-hmm. You know, one man's injury is another man's opportunity. And you look at this kid, Travis Fogum, who came from out of nowhere. How does so many teams, and this happens all the time, not just in this situation, but how do so many teams miss on this guy, Ron? I, I, I can tell you, Derek, um, I was shocked when I looked at the tape after the San Francisco game. You know, you see they pick up Travis Fogum, sixth-round draft choice, Detroit Lions got cut, brought back, goes to Green Bay. He has a cup of coffee there. He's cut, released. The Eagles bring him in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he catches the, the winning uh, sideline route up, deep go up the left sideline. But when I went in and started looking at the tape, you know, we, we, you know on TV we only see where the ball goes. Yep. The all 22, you see every player running every route and how they run their route. And I really studied him that week. And then after the Pittsburgh game, you know, we came up with a phenomenal game. It was so obvious at least to me, uh, and probably maybe some other people around the league, that this kid was a natural wide receiver. And I compared it to mm-hmm. my dear friend Mike Quick. Because Mike Quick, you know, was one of those receivers. In, in the draft, he came out in 82. Perry Tuttle was a guy. He was a speed guy. And, That's right. Well, he, went, he went to Buffalo, but we ended up – oh, we ended up with Mike Quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What a, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thrilled about that, by the way. Anyway, Mike, was one of, Mike was one of those 4-5 guys, 4-5-3, four, 4-5-4. Five, he wasn't a blazer, but I will tell you this. When I threw the ball deep, I never overthrew Mike. He caught everything. He had that extra gear. He had, you put the watch on him, he ran 4-5-3, four, 4-5-4. Four, four. With the ball in the air, he ran 4-2-5. He would go get it. And Folger was one of those same guys. He has that 
second gear when the ball's in the air, he goes and gets it. And he also has it. I, I, I love to say this. It's kind of a something most people don't talk about wide receivers. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do the draft and I talk to scouts and all that. They look at receivers, how they run their routes. And, and, and I've, I play with guys that we call them drifters. They come out of their break and they drift up the field. That's a cardinal sin for a wide receiver. That allows every defensive back to come in, undercut routes, knock the ball down. You have to work back to the quarterback to make the catch. And he was just natural at it. Ball's thrown to him. Ball goes to the left side. He's on the right side. I'm going, look at that route. He's open. Look how he comes out of that route, the top of the stem, and works back to the sideline. Works back inside. Works back to the quarterback. Has great awareness. And when the ball's in the air, you could just see the eye-hand coordination. That may sound corny, right? Your yeah. eyes and hands working. How many guys have you seen <laughs> like this? You know, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. You? you know, clearly, I mean, literally in two games, man, he's going to be the he not going to be the real deal. He is the real deal. Um, you look at how we have criticized Howie Roseman for a lot of his drafts. Uh, in a lot of ways, they've been inconsistent. But shouldn't we also give credit to Howie for being able to find these diamonds in a rough, like the the Boston Scots, the Travis Fogums, the Jason Crooms, who we're still trying to get uh, to know a little bit more? One play, one touchdown. That's what yeah. <laughs> we like that production, right? <laughs> um, hey, Howie deserves a lot of credit for putting this team together. We, you know, Howie built a Super Bowl champion. Um, Enough said in that regard. You know, he's he's been to the top of the mountain with his team. But, you know, we all know it's a what have you done lately league. It's a what have you done lately yeah. city. And, yeah. and how he has done better with later draft choices than first and second round picks. And he's, he, I, hey, I'm being blatantly honest. I love how yeah. he's a dear friend. Yeah. And he knows these first and second round picks have to turn out better. They have yeah. to. If this team's going to maintain, you know, the, this gold standard that we like to say around here. For a long period of time, and that's tough to maintain. But you're no impact players. You mm. get a first rounder. Their second round picks got to be an impact player. First and second rounders got to be Pro Bowl caliber players. If not, they're considered misses. What are we to make of Corey Clement's situation? I mean, you know, obviously he's not the player of a 2017, but he's become a, a basically a forgotten entity in this offense. 16 touches through seven games this year. Yeah, and Corey's a guy you can count on as, as a former quarterback. I love guys that I can count on. You know he's going to pick up the blitz. Hey, he's not the most physical guy, but he'll block somebody. He'll block the right guy. No one's going to get a clean shot. Corey has a great ability. If someone else misses a block, he'll clean up. He's really good in scan protection, pre-snap look, mm-hmm. seeing what the defense is doing. And in, in, in the passing game, he's not going to blow by people, although in the Super Bowl he made, you know, he, he was phenomenal as a receiver. But here's a guy, you can get some matchups that will favor him. But most importantly, you know where he's going to be. And it, it sounds like a simple statement, but if you're supposed to be five yards running your route, be at five, not seven. If you're supposed to be at three yards and in flat, be at three, not ten. That is so important for a quarterback, the little nuances of where players are supposed to be. And Corey's one of those guys. He knows where he's supposed to be, and Carson knows where he is. You look at this Eagles offensive line has been decimated by injuries. They've had six different offensive line combinations in seven games. But what does that say about the O-line coach, Jeff Stoutland, in terms of continuously getting these guys to believe in themselves? Now, it hasn't been pretty all the time, but it's been effective when it ha- it's had to be. It, it, it's been pretty good. It, it's been pretty yeah. damn good. And, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that's really the guy, the glue that puts a group together. 
know, mm-hmm. when you take a guy like Jordan Mailata as a real life example, you you know, the scouts find him. He's got athletic talent. Never played a damn snap of football in his life. You know, a rugby. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, hey, hey, Jeff, go out and coach him up, make him an NFL player, right? <laughs> yeah, thanks, Howie. You know, hey, hey, I appreciate that, man. Thanks. But he, you know, hey, he was patient with him. Uh, I can remember being out of camp and watching him work with his footwork and hand placement. The guy is six foot five, 350 pounds, and athletic. And yeah. it's just look at tape. You go, man, look at his feet. Look at the punch. Yeah, does he make some mistakes? Absolutely. But this guy is so raw. He's going to be he's going to be a left tackle for a long time in this league. So that's one example. And then, you know, I mean, I, I thought Driscoll was playing really well when every yeah. time Lane got hurt, you know, he had to step in and make plays. So he was doing a good job. But the loss of Brandon Brooks, I think, really, really hurt this football team more than people would like to say, because he was kind of with Kelsey. He was kind of that rock inside that, that short up the middle of that, that offensive line. There was very little pressure up the middle. And there's been some leakage because of all these changes on the old line. You know, uh, you look at the Eagles' next opponent, the Dallas Cowboys, and there's a sliver part of me that almost feels sorry for what's going on down in Dallas. Not much. I have no sympathy whatsoever for Dallas in a general sense, but, you know, they lose Dak Prescott. Now they may have lost Andy Dalton for the upcoming game against the Eagles. Some guy named Danucci might come in here and be the quarterback. JMU, then, baby. James yeah, Madison Danucci. <laughs> <laughs> but then you look at what else is going on. You start to hear the grumbling in-house. You know, uh, people, uh, players questioning the coaches, not being ready, not teaching their players. Um, are we watching a Cowboys slowly disintegrate? I mean, they still have a lot of talent on that offense, but, you know, it's like it's almost embarrassing to watch their team play now week in and week out. Yeah, Derek, they've been awful. They've been absolutely awful. Um, defensively, they can't stop anybody. Offensive line, two years ago, the best offensive line of football, can't block anybody anymore. Ezekiel Elliott now dropping a ball over the place. Last week, two fumbles. and doesn't look like the same running back right now. There's nowhere to run. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. look like the same guy that's running with a passion. Um, I mean, the wide receivers are phenomenal. They've got, they've got excellent wide receivers. However, if the quarterback is trying to throw off his back, he's in trouble. You know, because yeah, I haven't yeah. seen many guys yeah. complete passes laying on their back or get hit as they're throwing the football. So, I think it's a trickle-down effect from their poor offensive line. Our our Eagles defensive line should gut them on, on Sunday night. Yeah. That's how I feel about this game. But, you know, I have no sympathy for the Cowboys. You know, that was, you know when I came in the league uh, here in Philadelphia, they were America's team, and we hated them, and we still hate them. It's, it's, it's yeah. not, and I'm talking as a competitor, not as a hatred-hate, but as a competitor. We always wanted to beat the Dallas Cowboys. And my dear friend Steve Sable, uh, since passed away, uh, coined that mm-hmm. term – yeah. America's team. And I never get <laughs> Steve, Philadelphia should be America's team. You know, the Liberty Bell, the Constitution. So yeah, that's America. This should be America's team, not Dallas. And we used to always argue about it, but that that always bothered me. It bothered Dick Vermeil. It Dallas America's team. That gave us more motivation to go out there and kick their butt. All right, now, all right, enough on the Eagles and, and the upcoming game against the Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to talk more about Ron Jaworski. Um, and as I said off the top of this podcast, I don't know if you ever sleep. You've got like 20 different job titles. I was going to ask you if you are done as a broadcaster on a national scale. I know you have your your radio show on 97.5, the Fanatic Weekend, a week out phenomenal show. I always listen to it. Uh, and then you've enlightened me that you're going to be doing some national radio for the NFL uh, coming up soon. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, Westwood One has hired me to just call some games on Monday night, so I'll be up at the Meadowlands uh, 
Monday for the Giants Bucks game, then the following week, uh, New England and the Jets calling that game on, on Monday Night Football for Westwood One. So, you know, my, my, my toe's always in the water. I got I always got a lot of yeah. stuff going on. My my golf business, trying to take care of three kids and six grandkids. Uh, they keep me going now, but wow. I, I've got to be involved in football somehow, some way. It's, it's my fiber, Derek. So now I'm new to the podcast game, and I understand you're about to uh, take a dabble into the podcast game as yeah, well, in, correct? In a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm going to start a new show on podcast one, it, you know, the, the gambling aspect of sports. And, you know, for yeah. years at, at my website, ronjaworski.com, I have yep. my weekly picks. Well, this year I'm absolutely on fire. So I think I'm making people some beer money or coffee money, whatever they may be doing. Why don't um, you let me know about this? <laughs> <laughs> this? Hey, you'll love this one. This year, now this is against the spread, 63, right. 42, and 1. What? Almost what? 60% picking right against the spread. So fifty. it's actually, so I'll be perfect, and it's 59.4% correct. And just picking winners, 73 and 32, almost 69%. But pe- people got to, you know, when they make their wager, it's against the spread. So I'm very happy that people are <laughs> following my picks because they're doing well. <laughs> man, if my wife would let me bet, you'd be the first guy I'd call. Right. But I, I, I'm, I, I'm betting on life, hey, man. That's, bet. that's the only betting I, I, bet. I do. I <laughs> are you surprised at how big gambling has become in the National Football League? Now, remember, it wasn't that long ago that the NFL wanted nothing to do with gambling. All of a sudden now we have DraftKings and all these different uh, gambling uh, uh, entities associated with the NFL. We now have an NFL franchise in the, in the heartbed of gambling gambling in Las Vegas now. Well, gambling has always been a part of the NFL, if not openly subliminally, you know, that's yep. just the way it was with, with fantasy and Jimmy, the Greek and people like that. Now, you know, the NFL could say, you know, we don't want people gambling and gaming and doing all those things, but we know, you know, when fantasy came into play, how many women became football fans. Oh yeah. I've watched the game now with the computer. She's done these fantasy leagues, you know? So and we all we we all know that it's been part of the fabric, and I think it's over the last couple of years we're now seeing, you know, DraftKings and FanDuel and all these other gaming type websites out there, and you know, hey, it's still up to the individual. Do what you want to do? If you don't want to gamble, don't gamble. If you want to, you know, bet a beer, go ahead and bet a beer. <laughs> now, look, you've you've written several books. I didn't even know this. You've written several books. Are, is there another book in the work somewhere down the road? I mean, yeah, are you I, done I, with I, that I aspect? Actually, I, I actually was. Um, Dave Plout over at NFL Films and Greg Cosell and I did my first book, The Games That Changed yep. Game, with, with, with Dave about another book, and it's going to be called The CEO Quarterback. And based on my experiences as a business person, basically taking the lessons I learned as a football player and applying those to the business world. So, um, and it was, it, we actually started talking about it in March, and I've been taking notes since then because through this pandemic, it's been pretty crazy, been pivoting every single day. So, there, I've learned some very good business lessons over the last seven or eight months. And so we're going to work on this other book called the CEO quarterback. So there's always something going on and uh, wow. Yeah. Try to keep busy that way as well. <laughs> your, your, your golf management group, you've designed numerous golf courses around the region. Now, are you one of these CEOs that are, are you hands-on in terms of designing or do you let you hire the experts and let them do it? And you sit back and take some of the uh, credit for it. Uh, I, I am not a designer, but I, but I, but I, but I, hands on. I, 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 you know, they usually get my, my leadership team usually gets upset when I start hanging around. Cause I've always, uh, you know, hey, I, I, it's details. You know, when you play professional football for great yeah. coaches, about the details, the little things, yeah. 
if you don't, everybody does the big things, but if you do sure. the little things, you can become successful. So I'm kind of the guy that makes sure everyone does the little things to be successful. So yeah, I'm kind of a pain in the butt when I'm around. Any, uh, any, uh, courses, uh, coming up in the immediate future that are you going to unveil? Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at a few opportunities right now. I have, you know, five in South Jersey and two in Pennsylvania and, uh, yep. you know, this is actually good right now. It's one of the few things you can do, you know, during the coronavirus pandemic period. Um, but obviously with food and beverage operations limited to 25% in Jersey and 20% in Pennsylvania of occupancy, uh, uh, that's been a rough go, but the golf business has been very, very good. You do a lot of charity work as well for kids. Uh, the Ron Jaworski golf challenge has been a big success for years. Um, a, a lot of people uh, know about it in this region, but for a, a broader spectrum for people listening in who don't know, can you talk about why you started it and, and who it benefits specifically? Yeah, uh, by the way, thank you for, for asking about that. Because yep. if I think back on my all the things I've done in life as a player, a businessman, yep. a husband, a father, one, thing's, one thing I'm really proud of is the Jossie's Playbook. And uh, we've raised over $6 million for at-risk youth wow. in our community. Now, it's been over 36 years, and we just had our golf right. tournament at Blue Heron Pines on Monday, and it was sold out. And I, I can't thank, you know, so uh, so many people I, I got to thank for the years of support they've given me, you know, JPC Construction, and it, it goes on and on and on, Genesis, and all of the celebrities from the Johnny Unitas's, the Tom Brady's, the Joe Theismann's, the Jim Kelly's, the Charles Barkley, guys that come in and play golf in this tournament every year. Can't thank them enough. But what energizes me, Derek, you know, we, we build playgrounds, football fields, baseball fields. We give away hundreds of bikes every year around the holidays. Um, and it, 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 when you go there and, and see young people that maybe are less fortunate, you want, you, I want to do all I can. My family wants yeah. to do all I can, you know, to the country forward and and the, it, it when i when i do one of these bike drives or i do the golf tournament and we go to and build a playground and you see these kids out there that if they weren't playing little league football and the cheerleaders were not there cheering for their team or we didn't build a concession stand what would these kids be doing they'd be out in the street they'd be they'd be causing mm-hmm. trouble so we're you know we're giving them a purpose in life and it's one of the things that i'm really most proud of over these 36 years they how much we've been able to make an impact on kids in our community. As you look back, Ron, have you surpassed uh, a lot of goals that you had in life considering what you've done and what you continue to do in life, uh, both in and out of the game? You know, I, I, I never really had like, like personal individual goals. Uh, right. I've always been as a quarterback, you're always team oriented. You know, you, it's all about the team. It's all about the group of people you're with. And, it, and, and I, I think that's how my leadership style is, you know, it's, it's, an, it's inclusive rather than exclusive. So, you know, I mean, if I say that, you know, I, I never said, Oh, this is, I want this to be my legacy or I want that. Yeah. That's really not it. I think you know, that'll take care of itself somewhere down the road. I just enjoy what I'm doing right now. And, and God willing, I can do it for a long, long time. I'm healthy. I got a great wife. I got three great kids, six great grandsons. And you know, th- that, that's what motivates me. It really does. Well, so at what stage do you just sit back and say, okay, I'm done. I just want to use, I just want to live under the umbrella of I'm retired to sit on a park bench, feed the pigeons, golf every day, go <laughs> fishing, on, go man. sailing. You know, at what point, you know I mean, me. you, know you, you me. make, impossible. That, you make that, me tired. You, I'm tired. Just listening to everything you do, man. That ain't happening, man. I can't do that. <laughs> that that's not who I am, but 
I don't want any grass going under my feet, man. I got to keep moving. You know what I mean? It's like quarterback, man. You don't want to get hit, so I'm going to keep moving. Well, well, I hope to one day uh, be like you when I grow up. The only problem is I don't know when I'm going to grow up. So, uh, but <laughs> I, I'm striving. I, I'm don't striving. Don't ever grow up, Derek. <laughs> have that have that little kid enthusiasm for life. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the one, the only. He is a former NFL quarterback. He is an author. He is a uh, CEO of a golf manage- management group. He is still a national broadcaster, a local broadcaster. Uh, uh, his work in the community is second to none. Uh, Ron Jaworski, I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I'm going to want to take some time and talk to us on this show, man. Thanks, Derek. Always appreciate being with you, man. You're the best. Love you. I love you back, brother. And, of course, that'll wrap it up for this edition of Gun on One, the podcast. Uh, For Ron Jaworski, I'm Derek Gunn. As I tell you each and every week, uh, continue to be blessed out there. And more importantly, be a blessing to everybody you encounter. So long, everybody. Gun on One is a production of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Alvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Alvin Shabazian. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, promo code STAPLE20.